Well, if you guys were here with us last week, you know that we began at what I at least consider to be an incredibly important journey together as a church. We began a journey about what it means to follow Jesus. That's what this is about. It's not about your money. It's not about your time. It's not about your talents. Though we're going to talk real particularly about all of those different things. Fundamentally, constitutionally, natively, what we're talking about is what it means to follow Christ. What we're doing together as a faith family is we are grappling with and coming to grips with the reality that in Christ Jesus, we gain, that's a key word today, we gain not only a Savior, who forgives us, who washes us, who makes us new, who makes us clean, who ushers us into the family of God, who secures our eternity and our eternal blessings, which are infinite in Him forever and ever and ever. Amen. Like everybody's on board with the fact that that's glorious, that's cool, that's amazing, that's awesome, that's gain. What we're wrestling with is that in Christ Jesus, we gain not only a Savior and in whom we have all of those things, but we gain also a Lord who by the same life by which He saved us, by the same death by which He saved us, by the same burial by which He saved us, and by the same resurrection has purchased us. Guys, Jesus Christ did not just come for your sin. He came for you. And I mean the whole of you. Not some little piece of you, here's a little piece of my time, here's a little piece of my dollars, here's a little piece of my talent, here's a little piece of this, here's a little piece of that, but all the rest is mine, Lord. I'm going to write Lord over this little piece because I feel kind of comfortable and that's manageable and I'm going to give that, but all the rest, no, that's me. Thank you very much. I am Lord of this. Wow, really? Jesus Christ, with His life, death, burial, and resurrection, has purchased the whole of you and here's what we're coming to grips with, that Two is great gain. It's gain. So if you were with us last week, you know that we said that to follow Jesus is to leverage your life, okay? It's just like two sides of an equal sign. Following Jesus, leverage your life. That's what it means. That's what it equals. And in practical terms, the metaphor that I've been using for months now, sneaking up on you, so that you'd have it by the time we got to this series, is that of a big metaphorical bag. I said in practical terms, this is what this means. It means consciously and deliberately taking all of the different issues of your life, all of the different items of your life, all of the different facets of your life, everything, and one by one putting them all into the great big metaphorical bag that your Lord, hear that word, not just your Savior, that your Savior and your Lord hands to you together in grace with your salvation. He comes claiming the whole of you. And then once we get it all in there, it's to get in the bag ourselves. Like, you guys can do this by now, can't you, I hope? So now you got all your stuff in there, everything in there, your sin in there, your issues in there, everything you are and everything you have in there, and you get in there, and then you pull up the sides, and you put it up over the top of your head, and you tie it off with a really cool, hope Jesus loves it bow, and then what do you do? You grab it. From the inside and together with all your stuff, you hop it on over to the feet of Christ and you lay it all there joyfully because there is joy in this that you can't find anywhere else. And you do it as an act of worship. That's it. 
as a response to all that Jesus is and to all that Jesus, by his life, death, burial, and resurrection, has done and forevermore will yet do for you. You know what, Lord? Do you know what you deserve? Do you know what the reasonable response is for me as a follower of you, as one you have, you have purchased? Yeah, I'm just going to get in there. I'm going to hop it all over. I'm going to deposit it. Here, do whatever you want with it. Here am I, all of me. We just sang it. I surrender how much? Yeah, but that's the question. That's the question. That's the journey. That's the struggle. So we hop it all on over, and then having done that, what else is following Christ? What else is leveraging your life? It's getting up every single day after that and taking every one of those desires that wells up in your heart and in mine, and they happen all the time, and even when we least expect it, The desire that comes along and says, you know, why don't you just kind of quietly untie that bow, let the sides of the bag fall where it may, and step out and maybe pull a few things back. It is to wake up every day and to take those desires where we need to take them, which is to the cross, and to nail them to the cross, to crucify them, that we might, moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, if the Lord grants us years, then freely follow Christ. Where? I don't know. Wherever he wants to take you and your big bag of stuff. We said last week, you know, when we come to Jesus, he doesn't give us a map. He doesn't say, you are here, and I want you to go here, and here's the path. I'll highlight it for you so you can't mess this up that I want you to take to get there. See you when you get there. You know, thank you very much. That's not it. You come to Jesus and you get a guide. That's a much better deal, by the way. You get a guide. And here's the deal. In going on His mission, as we saw last week, you come to know His joy. That is a qualitatively different kind of joy. Not any joy, no. You come to know His joy, so then leveraging your life produces joy. Not only that, you come to know Him. Hey, you get to know somebody that you journey through life with, don't you? You get to know Jesus. Leveraging your life produces an intimacy with Christ that you won't otherwise have. And then when all is said and done for you in this itty-bitty tiny little life, this thing that feels like a long time to us, but it is a fraction of a second. When all is said and done for you in this life, and you die and that's it, what do you lose if you've given it all to Christ? What are you leaving behind? Nothing. What do you gain? Gain is a key word, guys. You gain everything you've lived for. It's not a bad deal. Jesus puts it this way in the thematic statement for this whole journey that I've not seen on a t-shirt, but you know, we'll see what happens. Luke 9 verse 24. He says, for whoever would save his life, whoever would put it all in the bag and hop it all on over to himself, basically. <laughs> And, and use it all for himself and leverage it all for himself. Whoever wants to do that, here's the deal, will lose it. Not might lose it, not probably will lose it. No, he will. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It is utterly ironic. In releasing the things that we cling to in this life for joy, we find joy. In releasing the things that we cling to in this life for meaning and purpose and satisfaction, we, quite shockingly, 
find meaning and purpose and satisfaction in releasing the things that we cling to in this life as though within them there is life itself and we're going to find life in these, in releasing them, we learn to truly live. We find the life we've looked for everywhere else. Which means, by the way, that leveraging your life is really not about what Jesus wants from you, as though the king of the universe actually needs something. He's sitting around going, I don't know, man, if I don't get Tom's time here, I think we're done. Boy, if Tom doesn't put something in the plate this week, I don't know how we're going to pay the light bill up here. And it's ludicrous. Leveraging your life is not about what Jesus wants from you. It's about what Jesus wants for you. And I want you to think of it in that way. So with that in mind, I want to talk to you today about the thing that most of us at least are most tempted to cling to and most reluctant to release and to put into the bag and quickest to take back out of the bag once we've sort of kind of made half-heartedly put it in there. And thus, as a result, as a result, we often miss the greater benefits of truly surrendering, of truly saying, you know what, here I am, all of me, and of truly knowing what it's like to follow the Lord with a whole heart. So I'm going to talk to you today about your treasure, and the first thing that I want to talk to you about or to tell you about your treasure is that it is not yours, and that is the universal report of the Bible. The Bible sings one song about our wealth, one, Old Testament and New Testament, and I want you to hear that song because it's coming to you, you see, by the Spirit, and in it is the voice of a Savior who comes giving. It's His song. And He comes to you right out of the gate and says, look, what's yours? Not really. It isn't. David, the psalmist in the Old Testament, Psalm 24, verse 1 says this. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's saying, look, the whole earth and everything in it, well, that belongs to God. And then he adds to that and says, the world and those who dwell therein. What is he saying? He's saying God owns everything and God owns everyone. And if you just think about it for a second, how could it be otherwise? He created everything and everyone. And at no time since then has he handed over title or deed to any of it to anyone, including me and including you. You know what he does? He comes along and he entrusts a little tiny bit of it to us for a little tiny piece of time. But that's a trust. That's not a title. It's not a deed. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 16, New Testament. Here we go. He says, for by him, and he's talking about Jesus, God the Son, our Savior and Lord He says, for by Him, Jesus, all things were created. And then notice how expansive His language is. He literally takes up a poetic device called a merism because He needs poetry to try to explain to us how big this statement is. He says, for by Him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, two polar opposites of a spectrum. And the idea is it comprehends everything in between. He's saying, I'm leaving out nothing here. Visible and invisible. You can see it, He created it. You can't see it, He created that too. All of it, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, He says again, were created through Him and for what purpose, for what reason, toward what end? For Him. Now just process that. Think about that. Because here's the deal, you know, just like when you take your money and you give it to a money manager... You then expect that money manager to use it 
for your purposes and not his? You know, I mean, like you're not looking to get the email, thank you, I just made a deposit in my child's, you know, college account with your money. You're entrusting it to him to advance your cause, not his. Your personal mission, not his. So it is with the Lord. And look, just like it doesn't offend you, I hope, that, you know, your money manager, assuming it's a reasonable fee, makes a fee for managing your money. That's how he makes his living. That's understood. That's assumed. So it is with the rest of us and the Lord as well. He gives to us all that we have, and we live off of that, and that's okay. But I would say that I think he calls us to live more modestly than we do. I think that's a question. I think that's an issue, but He gives it to us and we can live off of it, and that's a lot different, however, than receiving it all from God and then living like He doesn't exist. If your money manager did that to you, he'd be in trouble, wouldn't he? Like, he'd get to meet your lawyer. You got all these people, lawyers, money managers. I got no people. (laughs) The first thing that I want to tell you about your treasure is that it's not yours. And I know you want to argue with it. I do too. You know, you want to say, oh, but Tom, you know, I studied more and I partied less in college than everybody else. No, you didn't. That's a lie. Okay, maybe a little bit more. Let's say that's true of you. But maybe, okay? We'll put that in category of you studied more. And maybe you wouldn't say this about yourself, but hey, you know what? Maybe you're just a little smarter than most people. All right, we'll credit that to your account. We'll put that over there too. Worked harder than most people. Risked more than most people. Sacrificed more than most people. Worked longer hours than most people. Outdrove and outdetermined most other people. I've got blood, sweat, and tears in every nickel that I have. You want to say it. I I get that. Well, who can argue with that? Of course you do. No question. But let's back it up a second. Who gave you the life that you're living with which you did all those things? Who created and then placed within you your intellect, your talents, your abilities, your drive, your stick-to-itiveness, your determination, your, your willingness to sacrifice and to take risks, your adventurism, if you will, the entrepreneurial spirit that is in you, that drives you, that moves you. Who, who did all that? Who gave you all that? Who loaned you all that? From whom comes every heartbeat? From whom comes every breath? From whom comes every moment? Who has numbered your days? And alone knows how many that there are, because he grants them one by one by one. Starts getting easy, doesn't it? Moses puts it this way, again, Old Testament, but by the way, it's a command. Deuteronomy 8.18, he says, you shall remember the Lord your God. He doesn't say, look, you might want to consider this would be cool and God would like it if you did this. You shall remember the name of the Lord your God. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He, He says, who gives you power to get wealth. And what did James teach us in the New Testament only a few months ago? James 1, verse 17, He says, every good gift, your life, your health, your drive, your gifts, your abilities, your opportunities, your relationship, your connections, your reputation, your, you know, all of it. 
every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The first thing that I want to tell you about your treasure is that it's not your treasure. And the second thing that I want to tell you about your treasure is that for all that the Bible has to say about your treasure, and it says a lot, save it, invest it, you know, store it up like the ant. Talks about the rock badger. You're like, what? But it gives you all of these principles of being resourceful and being responsible. It's really quite amazing stuff. And it works. But for all of the things that the Bible says about our treasure, here's what it says the most. It says be generous with it. It says give it away. And you know what? That's easy to do when it's somebody else's money. And it is. Let me give you an example. My wife drives a nine-year-old Honda Odyssey. It has 130,000 miles on it. We were supposed to change something called the struts at 70,000. Didn't do it because it was 500 bucks. And so now it goes, you know, at about 30 miles an hour. But it's awesome, Van. I mean, it's done great for us. You know, today, if you get in it and you spill your Diet Coke, we just tell you what we tell everybody who does that. Just rub it in with your foot. It's not a big deal. It's all right. We don't care. It's no big deal. But here's the thing. We bought it brand new, and when we bought it, it was the deluxe, deluxe, deluxe. I mean, it was fully loaded, absolutely everything. Leather, electronic doors. It's got this inside entertainment system, which I realize, like, everybody has a car where the kids can watch movies today, but nine years ago? Cutting edge, baby. That thing still works, thankfully. Amazing vehicle. How did we get that? Well, before we had that, I had... (laughs) and a Suzu Rodeo, and it was about 10 years old, and it was like, it's hard for me really to put into words how crummy it was. My kids would just shrink down even at a young age because they were just humiliated by this car. Little known fact about me, I don't care what I drive as long as it's semi-masculine. That's it. It doesn't have to be clean. doesn't have to smell good. Just not pink. That's all I ask. That's it. So I didn't care. My goal is get 10 years out of every car that I own, and if I go beyond 10, it's gravy. So it's going past 10. It's Suzu Rodeo. We actually left it sitting on the side of our house, went out of town, came back, and some kids, I guess, while we were gone, shot out this triangular glass window toward the back on one of the sides of the vehicle while we were gone with a pellet gun. So I took it to the Isuzu dealership, right? I just bagged the window, and eventually I made it to the Isuzu dealership. And I said to the guy, look, you know, I need to get this back window fixed. And he started to laugh at me. (laughs) He said, first of all, this thing is so old, we don't even have that anymore. You've got to go to a specialty glass store. And secondly, it's going to cost you more to fix that window than this whole car is worth. (laughs) When we traded it in, I got $100 for it. (laughs) No lie. And I would have paid $100 just to have them take it. So one day we load up in that rodeo, the clunker. At that point, Beth is pregnant with our youngest child. My middle girl is three. My oldest girl is eight. 
And we drive down to Miami and we go out to dinner or something with my parents. I don't remember what we did, but we were there at their house. And then, you know, whenever it is that we said goodbye to drive back up here, we got in the car, you know, my pregnant wife and three-year-old and eight-year-old and me into the clunker and we're waving goodbye to my parents and they're waving goodbye to us. So we're five minutes into the drive home. My dad calls me. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And he says, he said, here's the deal. Like no small talk. Here's the deal. I don't ever want to see you get in that car with your family and drive off to go anywhere ever again. And I get the feeling you're not going to part with this thing too easily and you're too cheap to buy something new. So here's the deal. Go buy a new car and I'll pay for it. And then he said... I suggest you go look at Honda Odyssey vans because this guy in my office just got a Honda Odyssey van and it would be perfect for you. I just drove around in it the other day. It's so nice. It has this and this and this. And so anyway, we went to look at Honda Odyssey vans. So I call him from the dealership. I said, you were right on about the Honda Odyssey van. This thing is amazing. It's like incredible. It is the family mobile. It's perfect. He's like, great. Did you get one? No, not yet. I said, I don't think they've got the one we want. I mean, we like it in silver, and the only one they've got in silver is the deluxe, deluxe, deluxe. He's like, well, tell me what that means. I said, well, leather seats, electronic doors, like you push a button and they open. And I said, and then it's got this movie video thing. It's like a $1,700 feature. No kidding. I remember the number. And I said, so what we're going to do is maybe go to a different dealership or look for, you know, order it or whatever. And he said, I think you ought to get that one. And I said, Explain. And he said, well, I noticed that you keep your cars a long time. And I'm thinking those leather seats, particularly with all the kids that are going to be in and out of it over the next 40 years, are going to be looking better than fabric seats. It's going to hold up better. Get the leather. You'll you'll be glad you did. He said, the electronic doors, think about this for a minute. Your wife's about to have a baby. She's got a three-year-old and eight-year-old. You got to factor in the diaper bag and the car seat and groceries and friends and all this. If she can just push a button and the doors open, oh man, glory, hallelujah, the angels sing. I said, well, I guess you got that right. I said, but what about this movie thing? We don't need this movie thing. He said, look, I said, it's 1700 bucks. He said, here's the deal. One trip to North Carolina, you will feel like that thing is paid for. We've taken many trips. So what's the point? The point is that uh, I really felt very generous with the um, Honda dealership that day. Like way more generous than I would ever have been by far. Because it's easy to be generous with other people's money. It's easy to go out on a limb like that when you realize that when you're out on the limb, you're not alone. I had a father standing behind me and saying, get that one. And I knew really and truly that he could pay for it. And he did. The first thing I want to tell you about your treasure is that it is not your treasure. And the second thing that I want to tell you about your treasure is that more than anything else, your heavenly father tells you to give it away. He tells you to be generous with it, and He doesn't leave you out on the limb. So I want to talk to you about two different kinds of generosity, two different levels, if you will, of giving that for simplicity's sake, I'm going to call level one giving and level two giving. Simple. 
And level one, giving is tithing. The Bible teaches tithing, and it teaches it in the Old Testament, and it teaches it in the New Testament, and it teaches it in the law of God, but it teaches it before the law of God. We see an example of Abraham paying tithes in Genesis 14. We see Jacob in Genesis 28 taking a vow to pay a tenth, a tithe. We see Jesus criticizing the scribes and the Pharisees, but in his criticism, commending them for being so scrupulous about tithing that they were tithing on the spice garden, the spices that they grew in a little garden with which they would flavor their food. Wow. The Bible sings one song, one voice. Writing to an agricultural society, for example, so he's writing to farmers. Moses says this in Leviticus 27, verse 30, he says, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees. What is he doing there? It's expansive language. He's saying, look, whatever it is, that comes forth from the ground. All of it, every tithe of the land, he says, everything that comes from the land is whose? It is the Lord's. He's speaking literally of ownership. He's saying it is owned by him. It's his property. And in fact, look at his disposition towards it. He says that it is holy to the Lord. It is sacred to the Lord. Wow. That's how he feels about it. It's significant. The Bible teaches tithing. And I know some of you are thinking, and what exactly is tithing? I mean, how does that work? What does that look like? The word tithe means literally tenth. It means 10% of all your income. And since, you know, we're not an agricultural society, it means like all of your income from all these different sources. Any source. It's speaking, by the way, of our gross income, not of our after-tax income. Wow. Yeah. It's expansive. It's large. And that means, by the way, that you can't tithe 2%. You know, I have people tell me that, hey, you know, I tithe 6%. No, you don't. You give 6%. The tithe is a tenth. I'll tell you what else. Everywhere that the Bible talks about tithing, it speaks of it also in terms of the first fruits. And since, again, we're not farmers, okay, what does that mean? It's referring to the first and the best of all that the land produced. The idea being that these guys would harvest their crops, okay? And then the first thing they would do before they paid their bills, before they paid their laborers, before they paid their taxes, before they did anything else with it, because the tithe belongs to the Lord and it is holy unto Him, they would take 10% of the whole that the land produced and they would take from the best of it. And that would be their tithe. The tithe also is an act of worship. It is a regular, visible, tangible reminder that God has built into the rhythm of our lives by which we recognize every time we in worship give it that everything that we have comes from God, everything that we have belongs to God, and everything that we have is to be managed for the mission of God, in light of God, for the favor of God. We regularly say with 10% that 100% belongs to Him and that He and not money is our security and that He and not money is our treasure. 
the offertory in our worship services is not like, you know, halftime at a football game and now's a chance to check your emails and go refill your cup and, you know, get some more peanuts and go to the bathroom. And it stands at the middle of what we're doing and it is itself an act of worship. And in letting it go, we gain. I want to read to you guys uh, what is probably the most universally neglected promise in the Bible. And you're going to love the promise, I I think. I mean, I'm pretty sure you're going to hear it and go, wow, that's cool. And then I'm going to read to you the verses that lead up to it, okay? So let's look at the promise first. Malachi 3, verse 10, second part. God speaking through Malachi says this. He says, and thereby, and you're like, okay, what by? Well, the verses before it explain this. He's saying, by doing the thing that I'm talking about in the verses that lead up to this, by doing that, he says, put me to the test. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. It's the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. Test me on this one. And test me and see. Here we go. You ready? This is awesome. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down like a downpour. Get it? Like a deluge. Like a tropical storm is the idea. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, look, let's be honest. Nobody reads that and goes, ah, you know, keep the windows shut. Right? None of this deluge of blessing for me. Thank you very much. Like, sign me up. That sounds great. Love that. All right, let's read the other verses. Malachi 3, beginning in verse 6, the Lord starts out with this. He says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Now, you got to let that sort of reverberate inside of you for a little bit. He's saying, listen, I don't ever change. Nothing about me changes. I mean, how could it if you're perfect? You know, where do you have to go? He's the same now as he was when he uttered this statement, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, he's talking to the nation of Israel. This is Old Testament, but who's the nation of Israel now? Who are the sons and daughters of Abraham in truth? Those who have faith in Abraham. You see that in the Old Testament and New as well. Look at Ruth. Listen to what Paul says. Those who have the faith of Abraham are the sons and daughters of Abraham. Who is the true Israel today? It's the church. So he's speaking to his people. He says, look, out of the gate, I don't change. Therefore, you, my people, he says, are not consumed. I'm merciful. I haven't consumed you. You're like, oh, good grief. Why would you want to do that? Well, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, he says, and I will return to you. Do you hear the heart of your father? It's not about taking. It's about giving. Return to me, he says, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Good question. And now listen to his answer. He says, will a man rob God? My goodness, it's language of thievery. But you say, how have we robbed you? The Lord says, okay, well... You've robbed me in tithes and contributions, in level one, and as we'll talk about in a second, in level two giving. 
He goes on, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And then he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And here's the test. Let's see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And that doesn't necessarily mean a material blessing. I'm going to give 10% to God. He's going to give me 25 back. It's a blessing. And letting go, you gain. Level one giving is the tithe. Level two giving is sacrificial giving beyond the tithe. The Bible makes it clear that when it comes to generosity, the tithe is a a floor and not a ceiling. It is a starting place, not a stopping place. It is the beginning of the journey of generosity, and it is far, far, far away from its end. It's like training wheels on a bicycle so that you can learn to ride, you see, so that you can learn to give, so that you can acquire the taste of the sweetness thereof and the blessings of the fruit of it. It gets you up and running. It gets you up and going. But just like when you were a kid, man, you know, you finally kind of figured the bike out. You couldn't wait to get the training wheels off so you could really ride. That's the idea. Level one giving is the tithe. And level two giving is sacrificial giving beyond the tithe. And most often, though not always in Scripture, it's directed toward the poor. You're generous toward God with your tithe, which, by the way, is also used to minister to the poor. And you learn then also to be generous toward others, toward people less fortunate, toward folks with other needs that you can meet. So next week, after we talk about our time and talents, we're going to talk about a project that we've been calling the Rio House. You should be familiar at least with that language. It's the expression of our desire to provide housing for homeless single moms in this community. One of the things you might not know is that the average homeless family is a single mom with three kids. So picture that, okay? And there are about 100 homeless families living on the street in Broward County every night. Hope South Florida, which is a ministry that we, together with seven other churches in this community, cross-denominational, it's one of the coolest things that we've ever been a part of, had the opportunity to help form, to aid these particular people as a result of a lack of crisis and transitional housing, turn away about 20 every night. And I had to do something consciously this week that I do just don't do on my own. I am a trauma-avoiding kind of person. I do not like movies that make people weep, and I certainly don't want to pay to feel miserable. So it takes effort on my part. I had to imagine what it's like not only to be the person at Hope South Florida on the phone or worse, staring across my desk at a fearful, desperate, maybe even crying, single mom with noisy kids sort of jazzing around her and telling her, we don't have a place for you. And knowing that I'm probably the third person that has said that to her already that day. And that I probably will have to say it to her again tomorrow. But not only that, but I had to kind of force myself to imagine what it might also be like to be her. And I think you need to enter into that. There are poor in our community. 
And here's the truth, you know, the truth is that we, Rio Vista Community Church, are not going to be able to create housing for all of them. We on our own are not going to be able to solve the problem. But here's what we can do. We can do our part. And in doing our part, we can inspire other people and other churches to do their part. We've already seen that happen. Hope South Florida had a duplex owned by them. And Rio people, with their companies, with their resources, with their community groups, with all of that, went in and literally renovated hurricane windows. I mean, renovated it. And homeless families are living in it now. Right now, it's awesome. And you know what that did? There's another church in town, a little bit bigger than us. They said, wow, if Rio Vista can do that, we'll we'll rehab this whole other facility that you guys have. And they did. See how it works? We can't solve it but we can sure do our part. So next week when we gather together after we talk about our time and talents, because it's all a part of this, all of that needs to go in the bag. And as I've said to you already in this journey, look, it may not be time, talent, or treasure that's the issue for you. It might be a sin issue that you've been hanging on to that you need to let go of, that you might truly follow the Lord. That's the thing that you need to put in the bag and hop on over with everything else. But next week, after we talk about time and talents, we're going to roll out the Rio House in a way that we hope answers everybody's questions, and we'll make ourselves available to answer any that we don't cover. And then two weeks from today, all of our, please hear this, level two givers. All of our level two givers who are square with God on the tithe will have the opportunity to make a one-time donation or a one-year pledge to the creation of what we're calling the Rio House. Okay? And I'm going to tell you in advance that it ought to be easy. You're like, I don't know, man. I've never made a commitment like that. It doesn't seem easy to me. (laughs) Well, it's not easy until you realize, you know, I'm dealing with my father's money here. And he's not lacking in resources. It's just not. And if he comes along and he taps you on the shoulder during this, And if you're sensing that he's saying, hey, you know what? I want you to, level two, do this. Then he stands behind you in the doing of it. That's a glorious thing. So I close with this. Are you a level one giver? If not, that's your challenge. That's what you need to get to. That's the training wheels. That's the start. And if you are a level two giver, maybe it's time to take the training wheels off and to go to level two and to experience an even greater measure, the freedoms and the joys of taking your father's money and deploying it in your father's mission. All right? I'm going to pray, and as I do, I'm going to invite Matt to come on up, and he's going to talk to you guys about some of the resources that we've created and are making available to us um, in this conversation, things that we hope are helpful, because we know some of you are right now going, ah, you know, how do I do that? And I think we've anticipated most of the questions anyway, and so hopefully that will be a real aid for you. Okay, let's pray. Father, we do thank you. God, that you stand behind us. Um, Lord, we thank you that in Christ we come to a heavenly Father who has all things, who lacks for nothing. And in letting go to that, Father, 
we gain so much more. Lord, you are a giving God. You have given your Son. And I pray, God, that you would give us the faith and the strength and the power of your Spirit necessary to respond as an act of worship. And in return, to give our all to you. Lord, you come not just for our sin, you come for us. Lord, open our eyes and let us see that that is gain, that that is a wondrous thing indeed. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you. We ask for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen.